just before this uh, podcast begins, I feel I need to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, this has been recorded in a working functional household and with three children, sometimes it's difficult to get everything done that needs to get done. And so you will hear some of my children having their music practice during this recording. It'll be in the background, there'll be some nice plinky plonky music on the piano, which will be lovely. Unfortunately, our children don't always do exactly as they're supposed to be doing, and sometimes we get slightly raised voices. So you may also hear the occasional raised voice in the background, gently encouraging them to practice their instruments and to try a little bit harder to do it again if it's not quite worked. If you do hear this, try and ignore it, filter it out. Hopefully it will not detract from the recording itself or from the message which you receive from listening to it. I just thought I'd better warn you before it all starts. Digital Deacon Podcast. Uh, welcome along to another Digital Deacon Podcast. This one is a little bit different, or possibly very similar to other ones, in that I'm not writing anything particularly new to talk to you about. This is just the recording of a sermon that I wrote on the weekly Bible readings. In this case, the readings from Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 31. And from John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 15 to 21. And there are several different threads running through today's readings. They seem to set out on wildly different directions. On the one hand, you've got Paul speaking to a big crowd of gathered people in the centre of Athens. And on the other hand, you've got Jesus gathered with his friends in a small room. Two very different settings, two very different purposes. Jesus is com uh, comforting his friends, telling them that he's not going to leave them on their own, that actually he's going to send a helper, somebody to look after them, somebody to guide them. Whereas Paul is stood before the people in a place where crimes were judged, where people were determined legal matters, and he was telling them about a God who they didn't know. He was doing proper evangelism, literally on the cliff face. Two very different kinds of stories then, but they are actually connected. Indeed, they're woven together if you look at them in the right way. There are threads running through both. The threads that I found were, the first one being true religion of faith and action, Number two, knowing the unknown. And number three, who are we? It's always good to have three points when you're doing a proper Methodist sermon like this. It's very traditional. But these are big themes. They can seem like you could do a, a sermon or a reflection on any one of these. The idea that true religion was faith and action. How do we know the unknown? Who are we? The, these are big, big questions. 
but in some ways they are simpler than they first appear. Jesus said to his disciples in that room, If you love me, you will obey my command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world can't accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come back to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On the day that you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus says that if we love him, we will do what he commands. It's something fundamental to the Christian faith. It is the true religion. Not the religion that put Jesus to death on the cross. Not the religion which starts wars. But the religion which helps people, that saves people. That spurs people into acts of good works. Often as good Christians, we know that we are saved by grace and we gleefully say that works cannot earn us our salvation. However, many use this as an excuse not to bother, not to bother doing what we should be doing. We say to ourselves, no deeds can earn my salvation. My salvation comes from loving Jesus and accepting the great sacrifice that he made for me. I don't need to do anything to earn his grace. And this is true, but it's only part of a much bigger picture. Whilst it is indeed true that you don't need to do anything to earn salvation. Salvation comes from knowing and loving Jesus and accepting his gift of grace. But this does not exempt us from the work which we need to do. The job that Christ sets before us. Listen carefully to what he says. If you love me, you will obey what I command. This is not an order from Christ. This is Jesus saying to us, if you love me, prove it by doing what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. It's actually just a statement of fact. If you love Jesus, you can't help but do as he asks of you. Sometimes it can take us a little while to get around to it. But ultimately, if you love Jesus, you do what he asks. Because faith and deeds aren't mutually exclusive. They're not separate things. They're deeply interconnected and intertwined. 
as James writes in his letter in the Bible. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you goes to him and says, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified not uh, justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteousness for what she did when she gave lodgings to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. If we believe ourselves to be saved, our actions should bear witness to that fact. If we say that we love Jesus, we should be doing as he asks. But if, we're, if, if that was simply the case that all Christians did that, they would all be out there evangelising with their very last breath. They would be selling everything that they own and giving their money to the poor. We should be sharing our faith with everyone. So why aren't we? What is preventing us from stepping out in faith and doing what we've been commanded to do? I think possibly it's because we've become like the Athenians. The Athenians who Paul was talking to, he noted, were very religious. In that they did everything that worship of gods that they feared demanded of them. Sacrifices and honours to keep them happy. Everything that they could possibly do just to make sure they didn't upset one of these great or powerful deities who had control over their lives. They were gods of human fears. Gods of stone made by human hands. 
and we started worshipping as if God was like them. Singing songs to the God of music, bringing food to the God of the harvest, giving offerings of money to the God of buildings and water rates. Praying beautiful prose to the God of word and poetry, and occasionally collecting for the unknown God who heals the sick, clothes the naked, feeds the poor and visits the prisoners so that we don't have to do it. The balance of faith and deeds has shifted and so the church moves from where it was supposed to be and we stop seeing Jesus and only see the church. So even in the church, God can be an unknown God. The Areopagus, or Mars Hill, was the place in Athens where all of the teachers and students met to discuss the latest ideas. The Athenians were so obsessed with any idea that was new and interesting. So it was not surprising that Paul headed straight for this place on his arrival. Expecting a receptive audience. The question Paul faced, of course, was one all evangelists face when wanting to share the good news about Jesus. Where do you start? How do you explain something as crazy as Jesus and what he did, how he died, how he came back? How do you start to explain that to people who have no grounding in any of the stories? which Jesus' life was built on. The people of ancient Athens were also quite superstitious. As Greeks, they believed in a whole pantheon of gods. From the big well-known ones like Zeus, god of thunder, lord of all of the gods. Hera, the goddess of family, Poseidon, the god of the sea, and Athena, the goddess of wisdom. all the way to Phantosus, the god of surreal dreams, and Momus, the god of satire. In fact, they had over 300 gods who they believed personified different aspects of life and also influenced their lives. What bothered the superstitious and religious Athenians was the question, what if we've left a god out of our pantheon? One who should be in it. What if we upset them by having left them out? And so, in answer to this, they erected a shrine dedicated to the unknown god. So as to ensure that they did not incur the wrath of said god. Paul sees this as he's wandering around and quickly seizes on it as a way in. Rather than tell them that they were wrong to have so many gods and ridicule them for this, 
Paul congratulates them on the fact that their hearts were leading them towards the right idea, even if they hadn't got it quite right yet. Paul says that he's going to take their unknown God and make him known. He echoes the message of Jesus in the reading from John's Gospel. Jesus lets us know that the Spirit and the Father became known to us through knowing who we are in him, through loving Christ. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. So Paul says to the Athenians and to us, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So the relationship with God, which is desired, the ability to know God, to see God, does not come through building and maintaining temples and churches, but through serving. He goes on to say, God made from one man, every nation, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The unknown God walks among us. As Jesus said, our God com becomes known to us by our love of him compelling us to follow his instructions. Let me be clear on this. Jesus did not instruct us to build churches. He never told us which songs to sing. He never told us to hate people of other religions. He never said hate gay people. He never said blessed are the rich. He never said God helps those who help themselves. Do unto others before they do it unto you. The commandments he gave for us to follow were hard, shocking, groundbreaking and revolutionary, counter-cultural, then even as now. They were also simple. Help others. Love those around you as you love yourself. 
no ifs, no buts, forgive. Be careful when you judge, because you will be judged as well. Turn from your old life and your old ways and follow me. Feed the hungry, bind up the broken, clothe the naked, comfort the hurting. Follow the Ten Commandments. Be honest, be joyful, resist non-violently. Deny yourself and put others first. He didn't say church ministers should stick to theology and not talk about politics. He didn't say once you're baptised and confirmed then you're done. He never said we should welcome the stranger unless they come from a different country or don't look like us or don't sound like us or don't act like us. He never commanded us to tolerate others. He told us to love others. He never said, Behold, I have come to the righteous few, and the rest be damned. Jesus is made known to us and to others in the love which we receive from him and give to others. The love which is so alive and dynamic, it refuses to simply rest on us. Instead, channeling through us, into our actions and out into the world. This comes down ultimately to who we are, or who we think we are, what we are, why we do what we do. Paul's answer to this is, we are the creation of a living God. A God who is as close to us that at times we can't see or describe God because it's like a fish trying to explain water. In God we live, move and have our being. This is who and what we are. We are God's offspring. If that is who we are, then we should... This should drive us to know our God and make our God known. As Paul said, all humanity was created that we might find our way towards God. You only need to walk the world a bit to see humans desperately reaching out to this unknown God. You see shrines to this unknown God whenever you see flowers and teddy bears in heaps by the side of the road. You see shrines to an unknown God when people gather in prayer to the God that they don't know because as a community they've been struck by tragedy. There are no atheists in a sinking ship. Humanity has a God-shaped hole and I'm beginning to think that the church is no longer the right shape. So when people come to it, they do not find that unknown God. Jesus has often asked, Jesus was often asked, who are you? What are you doing here? 
More often than not, this was because he was somewhere where people didn't think he should be. Doing something that they shouldn't, they didn't think he should be doing. If who we are called to be is who Jesus was, then we should follow that example. The disciples looking down at Jesus, washing their feet, taking on the garment of a servant, the towel, would have been thinking, who is he? What is he doing? But this was the example that we have been asked to follow. The command to obey. The life to live. So, confession time. I think this is why in recent years I've begun feeling disconnected with the ministry in which I have found myself. Because I'm feeling called to be out in the world, making Jesus known to those who have yet to find him. Who are you? What are you doing here? This is a question which has been asked of Methodist deacons like myself for a long time. Deacons have frequently defied description or pigeonholing, as even from biblical times they have found their ministry directed by God beyond that which they were originally thought to be doing. In Acts chapter 6, the disciples get fed up of dealing with the day-to-day -day running of the church matters and appoint seven men to be deacons to look after the work of feeding the hungry and caring for those in need. Luke, the writer of Acts, points out that these men very quickly step outside of the bounds of their defined ministry and start addressing the needs of mission as God directs them. Stephen starts preaching on street corners and begins winding up the officials. And Philip shares the gospel message with an Ethiopian eunuch, an important political figure, which leads to that person's conversion and leads to the establishment of the Christian church in Ethiopia. The history of the Methodist diaconal order begins with the Wesley Deaconesses who worked out in the community, serving the poor, starting up new churches, sharing the gospel in word and deed and making the unknown known. But what does this mean for the rest of us? We are all called to make God known through who we are. The Methodist Church of Singapore makes it clear that the work of making God known is not a commandment to the clergy, to presbyters and deacons, vicars, priests, bishops, but to all Christians. It makes this clear by the way that it charges those to be ordained. And the charge goes thus. We are not ordaining you to ministry that happened at your baptism we are not ordaining you to be a caring person you are already called to that we're not ordaining you to serve the church 
in communities, committees, activities, organisations. That is already implied in your membership. We are not ordaining you to become involved in social issues, ecology, race, politics, revolution. For that is laid upon every Christian. This is who we are. We are the offspring of God. People of a living God. Not a God of wood and stone. If you lift a stone, God is there. Split a piece of wood and you will find God. Knock down the building. God still stands. Stop preaching. And God still speaks. Silence the singing and the melody of God still rings out. Christ calls us to make him known in washing the feet of the other. We are called to act out that same ministry of service, which he himself exemplified for us. We are to find those things, those people, who the world considers the furthest from holy. Those things which people consider to be dirty, not to be touched. And in acts of loving service, make them clean, regardless of how uncomfortable it may make us feel. Show them who they are in God, seeing the face of Christ shining out from them. In a world where, for some reason, we consider Christians to be up in ivory towers, to be holy Joes who consider themselves better than regular folk. We need to rediscover that servant heart of Christ and put ourselves to the service of the sick and hurting world. We have a ministry, each one of us, a ministry to which God has called us through acts of true religion, the deeds born of love and faith. We make God known through who we are and how we value others to be. Amen.